I'm Daniel Dasso, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Beacon, and this is The Beacon Interview, where I talk to important people at UT and in Knoxville about their work, their goals, their lived experiences, and their vision for what our campus and our city could become. My first guest is Chancellor Dondi Plowman. Chancellor Plowman had already established herself as a respected scholar of business management before she was hired on as the ninth leader of UT Knoxville on July 1st, 2019. This was not Plowman's first time at UT. She was previously head of the Department of Management in the Haslam College of Business from 2007 to 2010, before leaving for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she served as Dean of the College of Business and later as Executive Vice Chancellor and Chief Academic Officer. Plowman holds a doctorate in strategic management from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's in higher education administration from the University of North Texas, and an undergraduate degree in English from Southern Methodist University. Chancellor Plowman joined me in the Daily Beacon office on September 1st to talk about how she avoided burnout through the darkest days of COVID, how UT has managed to grow rapidly and buck national trends, as well as her working relationship with UT System President Randy Boyd and her love for Clifton Strengths. Chancellor Plowman, thank you for coming to the Daily Beacon office today. Hey, to talk. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, especially on game day, yeah. the first game day of Big the day. year. Yeah. Big day. Are you excited for the game? I'm very excited. I love football. I like all of our athletics. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, campus is really humming, not just today with the game, because I know there's a lot going on today. But I came in fall of 2019 as a freshman, and that's also when you started as chancellor. I remember Torch Night. Yes. You were speaking to all of us in Thompson Bowling, and Natalie Campbell was student body president. Yes. Which feels like years and years and years ago. But being on campus these past few weeks, it's felt remarkably like fall of 2019. Good. How has that been for you? It's the same way for me, honestly. I think about you all, we sent you home mm-hmm. in March. You thought you were going for spring break. We thought you were going for spring break. And then, you know, and I also think about the students who came in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. Those are ones I always just like, that took a lot of courage. Yeah. So yeah, we're, it feels like we're back mm-hmm. and it feels great. And I, th- I see so many people are saying, I'm not even complaining about the traffic because it means yeah. the students are really back. So it's great. Yeah. and. Uh, I know at one point you had thought about becoming a Dean of Students and you are, you know, around campus a lot. You have a lot of meet and greets where right. any student can walk up to you. Right. Do you enjoy those events where you get a queue of students and they walk up to you, get to meet people like yeah. that? Do you like being on campus like you that know, students? No, it energizes me. Yeah. It really does. And you, actually some days, a lot of those are planned, like I, I know I'm right. going to go somewhere. But it has been true that there's some days I, I may be just like sort of slugging away in my office and I think, yeah. you know what, I got to get outside and remind myself why I'm here and it's the students. And it's mm-hmm. just very energizing. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Um, I know. So we were saying that campus feels like it did kind of before COVID. COVID hit only seven months after you right. started as chancellor. That's right. Take me back for a second to those days. Uh, before we were sent home. You were in meetings all the time right. talking about this virus none of us knew about. Right, Completely exactly. new. What was it like for you to have to take on all of that totally unexpectedly and so short after you, not long after you started as chancellor? So the thing that every 
every chancellor, even if you'd been in this role for a long time, nobody knew what this was. We were, we were calling it coronavirus at the time. And uh, people didn't, the information was coming quickly, but it was incomplete, it was inadequate. The first decisions we had to make that I remember are we had students studying abroad. Mm -hmm. And we began to get the feeling that they could get trapped inside those countries if the country shut down. One of the first things that happened was people can't travel. Mm -hmm. So a first really hard decision that we had to make was calling our students home from those programs. Mm -hmm. And I think we had over 300 students studying in Europe, various places. It turned out to be a really good thing that we did because very shortly after they came back, um, you know, other countries were doing the same thing. But a, a decision like that now seems like not a big one. Yeah. But at the time it meant they, they had spent a lot of money to go overseas to spend a semester, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, how are we going to get them back? We immediately said, we'll pay for them to come back. But then are they going to get the credit for the course? I mean, it was a complicated set of decisions just to make that one decision. Mm -hmm. um, so those were the early decisions. And then when we realized that you weren't coming back from student break, like really weren't coming back, just the logistical issues about your, if you lived in the dorm, all your things were here. Mm -hmm. Yours were, weren't you? Yeah. Because you were in that freshman class. What dorm were you in? I was in Hess, and okay. I remember coming back in May to get yes. all my things because we had left in such a hurry. That's right, and we scheduled it. You're coming back to it was mm -hmm. you couldn't be in there with. At that point, we were waiting for our first case, like a UTK yeah. case, and once that happened, and I think it was later in May, maybe in June. Uh, we had to shut down the opportunity to come get your things out because at that point we were spraying down the rooms. We were, you know, it was just the early mm -hmm. stages were a lot of decisions based on the best information that you had. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were, as we got rolling, we made the decision we wanted you guys to come back in September, in August. And we were one of the, we were out there early to do that. And I'm so glad we did. Mm -hmm. Even though for the students who came back, this freshmen that came in the dorms, it was mostly Zoom, they were here and they were together. Mm -hmm. uh, so there were a lot of decisions, like we bought those hammock stands. Oh, right. And those were really popular. And it was all about getting everybody outside. Like, mm -hmm. don't stay in your room. Get outside where it's safer. It's just so many decisions. But I, I feel like we had a great team. And honestly, we got some recognition for how mm -hmm. well we handled it. Uh, I didn't even know there were people rating you on that. We were just day to day trying to get through it. Mm -hmm. But I'm proud of our efforts. Right. And I know there were times during the pandemic when decisions were made, not by you, but by state government and True. by the courts. And some of those decisions, it kind of fell back on you to answer uh, for those. So specifically, I'm thinking about mask mandates and that was about court injunctions. That was about decisions happening in the state legislature. What right. was it like to have those decisions kind of, you were sort of at the mercy of some larger political forces. Right. And that was really into the second year of it. Right. The first year, I would say you're on the right path though, because the first year as a system, we tried to make a lot of the decisions together. So the UT system. Mm -hmm. So all of the campuses, we made the decision to come back or not come back. And how are we going to treat masks early mm -hmm. on before there was a mask mandate? Are we going to require masks in what buildings and under what situations? So the first kind of group decision was as a system. Mm -hmm. And then you're right that in the second year, there were a lot of other factors that came into it. 
uh, and once the state had passed the law about no mask mandates. Now remember at that time, we were trying to get kids vaccinated. Right. So there were like two things going on at the same time, trying to get the vaccination rate up as much as we could, uh, not requiring it, but encouraging people. So yeah, there were a lot of moving parts outside our own control. And there was a period in there, if you remember, where we had a, ma a mandate, no masks. So we dropped the mask mandate. And then it was like within a, f a few days time, there was a federal issue about if we were gonna receive certain amount of money from the federal government, then mm -hmm. we had to follow what they said. So it was put the mask mandate, it, it, it was just, it was in, it was it was not right. in, and, and that was, was maybe one of the hardest times right in there it was trying to do what was best for the campus but there were outside f forces that were sometimes in competition with each other so mm -hmm. just trying to make the best decisions we could yeah and i know there were uh during some of the days of the pandemic there was criticism about things concerning like hazard pay safety for staff safety for faculty and faculty mental health during mm -hmm. the pandemic how were you considering your role as a role of support for right. faculty and staff throughout the pandemic? Right. At the beginning, we set out three values we wanted people to use to make decisions. Be flexible, be creative, and be compassionate. Hmm. Because we couldn't think of a rule for every situation. So if you're gonna decide what classes are gonna be Zoom, what aren't? take into consideration a faculty member may be living with someone who's compromised. Mm -hmm. Be flexible, be creative, be compassionate. And so in some ways that was might seem confusing, but actually I hope, I think it did give people a lot of guidance and some freedom to mm -hmm. figure out what was best in their situation. So that was the beginning of it, was like right. we're gonna go by those values. And we also said we have really important goals. That we're gonna keep people healthy and hopeful. Mm -hmm. The healthy part was easier than the hopeful part yeah. and some parts of it because it, there was a point where it felt like, is this ever going to end? And am I ever going to get back to a normal life? I don't know if you remember it, but I do. Mm -hmm. uh, so keep people healthy and hopeful and keep students on track to graduation. Right. So for example, in that first year, we had to do things like those students that were in programs that required study abroad, mm -hmm. we had to just say they've met the requirement. Yeah or figure out something else. They can't study abroad, mm -hmm. so something else. So I really hand it to our faculty and staff who helped us figure that out. There was a lot of figuring it out on the fly. And right. every university was doing it. So you kind of set yourself apart as a very energetic leader and you talk about energy a lot. How did you avoid burnout during the pandemic? Because I think people looked at college administrators and maybe specifically college chancellors and presidents right. and thought, that must be the worst job in the world right now. <laughs> so if, of all I, jobs, I don't want that one. How yeah. did you keep from? So during the pandem pandemic, I got better about, in that early part where we were at home. And remember, we were only closed for March, April, May of that first mm -hmm. year. But, and, and I mostly came back to work by July. But in those early months, I got more um, intentional about walking, getting outside, Mm -hmm. And I was able to continue to play golf, which was great. I'm mm -hmm. not a great golfer. It's a very frustrating game, 
but it, I wasn't thinking about testing and housing and quarantine space and all that. It was mm -hmm. sort of a break. Uh, but I think it was hard on everyone. Honestly, it was easier for me than a lot of people. I did not have young children at home mm -hmm. that I was trying to school them and do my job. Uh, so I think it was a lot easier for me than a lot of people. Many of our faculty and staff had to had to deal with all of that. And mm -hmm. honestly, I I don't know how I would have done that. If I, I would see, I would do um, drop-in Zoom meetings with staff for Great. example, or I'd attended a departmental meeting by Zoom. And I would see them there at the kitchen table and you could see their kids were running around and like cats dropping you down on the table. Yeah. And I was like, I could not deal with that confusion, all that responsibility. So honestly, I consider myself blessed. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids were adults dealing with it wherever they live. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I want to get past COVID okay. and talk about yeah, good. things now. Yeah. It's in the past. That's enough time. Right. Um, you know, if you had dropped me here today, there would be more face masks. There would be maybe a little bit more social distancing. Mm -hmm. We're still staying cautious, but mm -hmm. it does really feel like fall of 2019. One thing I think that does feel different, and this is kind of quickly becoming a right. hallmark of yeah. your tenure as chancellor, yeah. is the growth. Right. So many people on campus. Right. And that has gone against the national yeah. averages the national numbers. Yes. So nationwide, we've hemorrhaged about 1.3 million college students since the beginning of the pandemic. And even for four-year public institutions, they've lost about three and a half percent of their enrollment. But our freshman class this year is 14% bigger than it was last year. And I think people are looking at this wondering like how UT is managing to be number one in the SEC for growth. Right. What have you had to focus on during your tenure to make that happen? I think there are two things that have fueled that growth, at least two things, actually maybe three, but I think we have, obviously I think I'm really proud of the programs we have. Mm -hmm. Every university has great programs. I think we have amazing programs that are just now getting kind of national attention. But more specifically, I think there are two things, because I go out and I ask parents all the time, why did you choose University of Tennessee? Um, and whether they're from out of state or in state, I want to know what the answer mm -hmm. is. I was at move-in day for this this year, and I, I asked them all, like, why, why did you choose us? Yeah. And I heard things again and again like, my daughter just wants to be a volunteer. So I do think the way we are really focusing on the volunteer experience, it means something different to come to school and be on this campus, to be on mm -hmm. Rocky Top, to go to Torch Night. I don't know other universities that do something like Torch Night, and you, you promise to step forward and serve and lead and mm -hmm. light the way. I think there, there's something to that. I think secondly, we have had a very intentional uh, enrollment, strategic enrollment strategy. Now, some of that started before I got here, mm -hmm. investing in out-of-state recruiters, for example. But we also have recruiters all over the state of Tennessee. So right now we have a total of 26 recruiters who don't live in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. And they're spreading the word about this place. When I talk to the out-of-state parents, they will say, you know, my daughter, she just had this thing about coming to Tennessee. And then we came down here for a visit. It, it was done, we're coming. It was beautiful mm -hmm. and the people were so friendly. They always talk about our campus tours, which are led by students. Right. So our students are attracting other students. So do you think it matters that it's the volunteers and not an animal or yes, some other? Yes, I do. You think I think that that's makes huge. a difference. Yeah, and and we we make a big deal out of that 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 it means something to be a volunteer. What does it mean? I think we're getting better at talking about what that does mean. Mm -hmm. um, 
But one other thing I want to say, in addition to the freshman class, so our first year class, which includes freshmen and any transfers, right. we're up in freshmen and transfers. We're also retaining more of the students who were here last year than we ever have. Mm -hmm. So we're up about 2,000 students. And these are, I'm going to give you rough estimates. About 1,000 of those, a little over 1,000, are new students, first year mm -hmm. students. The rest of them are that many more students who decided to come back. So our retention has gone up. Um, yeah considerably and that's because we put all these efforts into student success mm. students now have a career they have success teams that chase after them and uh, they take their strengths and you you did it i'm sure mm. you you should know your top five strengths if you don't that's okay you know i've think. never done you clifton done. strengths okay i've done enneagram myers-briggs i have not done clifton i don't strengths. know how we missed you because now every entering freshman takes their strengths and that that's become kind of a hallmark. So why do you value the Clifton strength so much? So let's just I'll just tell you what my top five strengths are okay. and how it helps me every day. I am strategic, achiever, positivity, futuristic, maximizer, and my sixth one is woo, winning others. Over. I've heard. Oh, that's an acronym. Yeah. I didn't know woo was yeah. an acronym. I thought winning. it was just like woo. Yeah. No. Was, okay. <laughs> like in the song. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's means you're, you, you're good at persuading people and selling and communicating, that kind of thing. So those are my top six strengths. My entire cabinet has to have their strengths taken. And I have a grid that shows what everybody is. We all have it. And so if I hire a new vice chancellor or a new athletic director, Danny White, he's taking it. I can tell you what his strengths are. And we look at that together and say, as leaders, how does this help us? Where, where are the gaps? Yeah. Where is it we're not as strong? And what are we going to do about that? So it's helped me as a leader. So it helps you understand each other as a team. Yeah, and the idea is we're all we all have strengths. Mm -hmm. Just you might not know what they are, mm -hmm. and so this helps you. The idea is you can be successful regardless what category, what set of strengths you have. The successful people leverage their strengths. Mm -hmm. So part of what we want entering freshmen to realize, and because a lot of entering freshmen, I don't know if you felt this way, but you can get here, especially if you're a first gen student, and feel like I don't know if I belong here. Like my confidence, I don't, I don't really have the confidence. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you begin to realize, okay, I am kind of good at these things, I'm going to use that to be successful at college. Right. So I think that's a combination of factors that are fueling our growth. And then just Tennessee is a great place to live. It's beautiful. There's lots of mm -hmm. good jobs in Tennessee after you graduate. When we come back, Chancellor Plowman will talk about all of the negative things about having a lot more people on campus. That includes parking, dining, trying to find somewhere to live. She'll also talk about her relationship with UT President Randy Boyd and her proposal to restructure the colleges on campus. We'll be back in a minute. This is Ryan Clark, copy editor at The Daily Beacon. Uh, as a copy editor, I cover a lot of the rough drafts we get before we upload them on our website. And on top of that, I also do a lot of the movie reviews that you see on our paper as well. My favorite review I've done is probably The Batman with Robert Pattinson. It came out last spring. I would definitely check that out. And. I definitely think what we do here is really important because it helps broaden people's horizons, it introduces them to new passions, and it just makes people 
more aware of like the things that that make them happy. So if you want to support the Daily Beacon, give us a follow at UTK Daily Beacon on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and read our paper online at utdailybeacon.com. So I want to talk. The growth has from your team, your and you know the news information team at UT is touted, it's celebrated, it's an accomplishment against other universities, but it does cause a lot of logistical problems and these are being felt by students, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, we now have transfer students who have ha- are having to live in the Holiday Inn off campus. It's functioning as a dorm. We have students right. living at Quarry Trail. There's plans right. to build the bridge across the river to kind of expand campus southward. Um, so I think a lot of people look at these things. They look at parking. I know G10 the other day, had a zero on the screen, it was totally full, which right. you know, is kind of an anomaly. People right. are looking at this growth and thinking, is this sustainable? Are we growing right. too fast? Right. And what's the calculation there? Why accept more students than can be housed currently on campus? So we have housed everyone who wanted a room, mm-hmm. okay? Including the use of the Voliday Inn, I like yeah. to call it. Um, <laughs> And, and here's, the, here's the thing, we have so many jobs that need to be filled in the state of Tennessee that I feel is great obligation. And it's the mission is to get capable young people into this university and get them out in four years and into the beginning of a good life, which starts with a good job. So that's part of it. it it's not just growth for the sake of growth. It's growth because we can grow. We're in very high demand now. We do not want to exceed our capacity. So, but you don't think we've exceeded our current capacity? I think we're close. So, no, next I don't year think we fourteen percent growth. So, so that was unexpected. We okay. didn't think we were going to grow that much. Our predictive models this year mm-hmm. did not come in like they have every single year before, mm-hmm. and it's we've just become really popular in every state in the in the country and every county in the state of Tennessee. We're up in Tennesseans and we're up in out-of-state students. So we are, so let me tell you some of the things that, the reason I don't think we have exceeded capacity. Mm-hmm. Last year, at the beginning of the year, we had a lot of long lines around food. You remember that? Yes. People were complaining about food. I did a few 180s and walked yeah. out of the dining halls. Uh, okay, so what you see this year is 50 um, <laughs> robots delivering food. Mm-hmm. That was gradual over the last year. What you see are five food trucks here all the time. What you see is the dining halls are still operating. So we anticipated that need early, and I think we've, we're doing okay with that. Let's talk about parking. I was, in a, okay. I was teaching class yesterday, and somebody asked me a question, and I'm, at the end of it I said, is this a parking question? She goes, yes, it is. Okay. Have you been getting a lot of them? Uh, at the beginning of every school year, right. we get a lot of questions about parking. Every university in the country does. Yes. So these problems are not unique to UT. No, it's the it's the usual complaint that people have about universities. I had it when I went to school. I had it when I got my PhD at University of Texas. You had to walk forty acres to get across to the all the student parking in Texas was all around the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we're working on here is um, helping students. So we have an app. Have you used the app for parking? 
Uh, I've used the app for T-Bus. I've not used it okay. for parking. So we've been monitoring during those peak periods because I'll get a nasty text or tweet or something and I take a screenshot of the tweet and send it to somebody and say, is this really happening? Mm -hmm. And we look at the app and we can see there are still parking spaces in this garage, this garage, this garage, this garage. Mm -hmm. Not the one you want at G10, which is like, right. I mean, I'm just making that up. Right. Sometimes it's because students are wanting, they want the garage closest to where they need to go. Uh, but we know we, we have enough capacity at peak time. It's just not in every, it's tight. Uh, I'll grant you that. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily, there's some that are zero. There's others that aren't. But but the the issue is we are we are engaging in full force planning of the next set of dorms. We've got approval for two more dorms. We're working with private investors who are building. Uh, we're working with the city to try to attract private investors to build apartments mm -hmm. for upperclassmen. So we've got a lot of things underway. But it's tight this year. It is tight, and we we had a lot of students who we could have admitted that we did not. They were on a waiting list. And eventually we had to say to them, you'll, you'll need to find something else. So, Do you see the other campuses in UT, uh, UT Chattanooga, UT Martin, as kind of there in a way to release the pressure off of the flagship campus? I, I would love it if they could. What happens is our, each of our campuses has a very unique mission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this year we notified a number of students on the waiting list. There is space for you at... UT Martin, for example, there's housing. I don't know how many took them up on that. Just typically the people who apply to UT Knoxville don't apply to UT Martin. UT Martin is a wonderful campus, like a, feels like a small private school. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful, it's in West Tennessee. But students apply to, we don't really, I wish it did work more that way. There's less crossover yeah. between applicants. Because people are just looking, students are looking for different things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to talk for a second about your relationship with President Randy Boyd, the UT system president, because I think that is also something that stands out about your tenure as yeah. chancellor. Um, maybe it especially stands out because Beverly Davenport, who preceded you, her relationship with President Joe DiPietro publicly unraveled. But your relationship with Randy Boyd seems to be uh, in great working order. Um, you all seem to be you know, of one mind about a lot of issues on campus, and you have this shared orientation towards business. I mean, he's a businessman, uh, caused a little bit of controversy when he was hired because of a lack of background in academia, but he does have that business acumen. Mm -hmm. You also have that background in business training. Do you think that shared business training has brought the two of you into a closer working relationship? I think it offers us a language that we can use, we understand, but I, th I would say our connection is really more around, we both want to get big things done, mm -hmm. and we don't want to take forever to do it. That was one of the first things I picked up on him when I was interviewing with him. It's like, wow, the, he's, he will help me do big things, and I think he saw me as, you know what, I got somebody who wants to do big things also. So we have a, just a great relationship. I mean. If I text him, he texts me right back. I, I've learned to text and say, hey, I need to talk to you, but it's not a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Just like he's got a lot going on. Uh, and, and we don't necessarily always agree exactly, but we agree on the mission and we agree on what we're trying to do. We believe mm -hmm. growth is good. We believe more people need to be educated with college degrees. We 
so I, I, I just benefit very much from a great relationship with him. And it was a big, it was probably the single biggest factor in me taking this job. Because honestly, if you just kind of had looked at it, you know, Tennessee had, there'd been some turbulence leadership wise, both. I heard someone say, I, I worked here so many years and there were 10 presidents and seven, seven chancellors. I, I don't know all the numbers, mm -hmm. but I didn't, when I came here, what people said is we want stability. They wanted that in the president's role and in my role. And one of the best ways to get there is to have a great relationship among the leaders and, and with our team. So I value that enormously. Mm -hmm. And with the chairman of the board, John Coffey, as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you remember when we were, when, I, when I've had difficult issues to deal with, uh, Randy has been there every step of the way. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it may not appear that way to everybody, but I, he is a great um, confidant, helper in decision-making. He comes at things sometimes differently than I do, but I think we end up with a great decision. So I just value his leadership. Mm -hmm. I think the great, a huge benefit he is for the university is his relationships in Nashville and with uh, the General Assembly, mm -hmm. because he spent some time in that world, and we're really fortunate to have him. Right. I feel extremely fortunate that the president has those kind of ties and mm -hmm. connections. I actually want to talk about those for a second, because that's caused some controversy, um, especially I would say with more progressive students on campus, more left-leaning students, and maybe faculty, especially in the College of Arts and Sciences. They've had concerns about those ties. They've felt that it wasn't appropriate maybe for a, a campus administrator to have those ties in Nashville. Um, do you think that those ties politically that he has have at all you know, broken into academic objectivity have caused any problems I in that arena? I think it has been a huge gift for the campus. Hmm. I have worked in other systems. And when the, when the president doesn't even really know the governor or know the elected officials, it's, it's, it's difficult. So no, I think it's, it's a great asset uh, mm. for our campus and for the whole UT system. And, and I don't share that view at all. Legislatures do things that some faculty may not agree with, uh, but that doesn't mean we are, I mean, I just think we're so advanced by having both somebody who's a very successful business person and who's also so committed to public service, he's done it himself. Uh, he sees things, and his, and his style of kind of managing all that, I think it's just been really successful. Uh, it's one-on-one -on -one relationships. Mm -hmm. And I made a big point my first year here to meet every elected official, which I had ended up having to meet the last set on the phone because of COVID, mm -hmm. but I achieved the goal. And I have many of them that have my cell number, I have theirs, and I want, I say to them always, I want you to feel like you can call me if there's something you're not, that's concerning you, or even if there's good news, I, I get both. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a, a, a real asset for the campus. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's not, it's not unusual for some faculty in any university, public university, to, you know, think that if I were running this, it would be different. You know, if I, if right. I was a faculty member and I was in charge, 
but that's just not the way it is. So mm -hmm. I think we're really lucky to have uh, President Boyd with, with coming from that background. Well, I want to touch on some plans for this year, okay. and in particular, um, you and Provost uh, John Zomchik mm -hmm. have discussed some academic restructuring plans, yes. which have kind of slowly gained a little bit more public attention, right? because um, some professors are coming forward to talk about it. Correct. And the plan is specifically about restructuring or breaking up the College of Arts and Sciences, okay. um, UT's uh, largest college. Um, there has been some criticism about mm -hmm. the plan. Um, it would, you know, take arts and sciences and, and split up, you know, probably liberal arts, natural sciences, and the humanities and social sciences mm -hmm. into separate colleges. Why is that restructuring something that uh, you all believe is, is good for right now? That's a great question. So I'm an organizational scientist. You develop a strategy. Then you ask yourself, do I have the resources, the people, the structure, the systems to make that happen? Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a really natural question. And so far, what we're doing is asking the question. I had a faculty task force a year ago that we appointed to say, answer a couple of questions. Do we, given the vision that we have, our emphasis on wanting to do these five things, do, do the set of colleges we have help get us there? Mm -hmm. Are there other colleges we should have? Are there other organizing mechanisms. And they came up with four different ways of thinking about that problem. They didn't make a recommendation like, oh, I think you should go do X. And mm -hmm. I don't like the term blowing up the College of Arts and Sciences. We are looking at what is the right structure, the best structure for this campus. And there's a lot of ideas floating around right now. So there is not a plan per se. Okay. Pieces are coming, gaining clarity, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. So this summer we met with Every department, as of yesterday, every department in the College of Arts and Sciences to discuss options. There's a lot, one of the things I, I, that we are looking at is trying to give more attention to the sciences. Sciences, supporting sciences takes different types of amounts of research uh, support, mm -hmm. different types of support. Um, another thing we're talking about is, has nothing to do with arts and sciences, which is would we benefit from a college that focuses on health? There's a lot of jobs in health. There are a lot of campuses that have a college of health futures. So we've talked to faculty from a variety of disciplines. All these were outside of arts and sciences. So I want to just clarify that, that this is not just about tearing up arts and sciences. That mm -hmm. never was a goal. But it's saying, but, but arts and sciences is a college with 800 faculty. And I believe that every faculty member deserves to know and be known by their dean. And so there's, that's just hard to do. But there's a lot of other models out there. Hmm. Somebody has put, put forth a model, model that says, what if we had like an executive dean in arts and sciences and, and three schools with deans? That's, a, that's something we're looking at also. We're looking at all mm -hmm. sorts of things. So there's no quote plan. There's some, a couple other things that we're strongly considering. One is changing the Baker Center into a college. Mm -hmm. so that they can offer courses. That's where the American Civics Institute is right. going to go. Another one is to create a kind of an overlay model that would be a like a new college. No faculty in it, but maybe a dean, an associate dean, and their job is to create interdisciplinary new degree programs that the marketplace is wanting. And so do does it quickly. this uh, 
it feels, I think, to some viewers like administrative sprawl, like it's adding, you know, millions more in a budget for administrators. Is that a concern? Is that being part of the calculations, trying to contain that kind of administrative sprawl? I don't see it as administrative sprawl. There will be, if you create new colleges, there will be some additional cost. Mm -hmm. uh, but we factored that in, like as we've looked at the, the models of how to do it. I think mainly what we're trying to figure out is how do you create units that have cohesion, energy, identity, right. and, and can deliver for students and for the state kind of what we ought to be doing. Yeah. So it's, it's in process, let me just say. Okay. And I know, so you come from a business background, but I know you were also right. an English and history student I was. when you were an undergrad. Yeah. So what do you think was the value of having that English background mixed with business, that kind of liberal arts where you kind of sample from different subjects? Because I think people are concerned that maybe splitting up the College of Arts and Sciences might threaten that kind of interdisciplinary focus that the college has. Well, I, I think my undergraduate degree in English made me a great writer. I am a good writer and I spent my career in research, writing articles, publications. I mean, I don't do it anymore, uh, but that's invaluable for whatever you're gonna pursue in graduate school or in a career. So I think in my history, it was my history minor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just gave me an appreciation of, you know, I think critical thinking and an understanding of the context in which we live. Mm -hmm. So I think we need more interdisciplinary work, not less. I know some that are critical of some of the ideas see it as, oh, you're going to create all these silos and no one will talk to each other. We already have colleges, like take a small college of nursing. They do interdisciplinary work with three or four colleges around the campus. We mm -hmm. need to figure out how to do more of that, more. not less. Okay, great. So, well, as a fellow English major, uh, okay, good. it was great hearing you talk about that. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming into the office today to talk about uh, these important topics with I me. I appreciate it. You can invite me back anytime. Yeah, I look okay. forward to talking to okay. you again. I know you're out and about. You're very busy. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope you get a chance to ever be in your office. <laughs> Seems like you're always running around. Yeah, there's a little um, bit of that. But yeah. today's a big day, so yeah. it's fun. Um, well, I'm excited to see uh, where you take the university this year. Thank you again, and I look forward to talking okay. soon. Thank you. Our digital producer is Kaylee Harris. Our technology coordinator is Austin Orr. Our original music is by Sam Liskey. Special thanks to Guido Del Rosso and Ben Klein from Lumos, Student Media's commercial video production team. And another special thanks to Lauren Ward, Alexandra Ashmore, and Pierce Gentry for their work on the podcast. We'll see you next time on The Beacon Interview.